and welcome to this edition of V-Radio. If this is your first time tuning into V-Radio, you can check out my archives either on my YouTube channel or on Anchor Podcasts. Uh, you can, over the course of the years, I've in, interviewed senators, congressmen, activists, scientists, documentary filmmakers. Um, I've done some on-site reporting, you know, back in the days of Occupy. Unfortunately, I'm handicapped and can't do that anymore. Um, but I'm trying to bring, you know, a spin-free as much as possible, you know, experience as far as trying to analyze what's really going on in the world right now. Um, I am left-leaning, but my show uh, is more about just, you know, trying to be clear as far as to what's actually taking place. If I have an opinion about something, I'll give it, but I generally qualify that, you know, ahead of time. So uh, today my guest is Chris. Um, Chris, how do you uh, want to be referred to while we have this conversation? People on the street know me as WYSIWYG TV, which is what you see is what you get, but Chris is my name, and I'm happy with anything okay <laughs> all right chris it is WYSIWYG. um all right so i actually was um you basically you were brought to my attention by uh the villain report who i had on my show recently and we discussed things that were going on at the Wii spa um my first question that i always give a guest is what was the precipice moment for you that made you um, become an activist uh I'll be honest, I don't consider myself an activist, but uh, maybe I am, and I didn't realize it. I I had watched the rioting going on all over the country, and I had seen a number of camera people and news crews being assaulted by people in the streets. And I sort of witnessed one of these firsthand and decided that what I was going to do was take the camera out because that's my background and go show what was happening in the street for myself and sort of be there to protect these other camera people. Um, and that hasn't happened very often out on the street, uh, but that's, that's what got me out there. So is this your first time really kind of recording a, you know, an activist event then? Uh no, I've been doing this now since August of last year. Uh, okay. I had I had met up with another live streamer and offered to show her around L.A. while she was here uh, and spent some time driving her around and holding the camera for her a little bit and just getting a, getting a sense of what it was like to be out in protests uh, and covering them and decided that when she left, I wanted to sort of carry on this, this – uh, camera spot in LA because there weren't that many people that were doing it at the time. Right. Well, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that you did. Um, there was some pretty disturbing footage of what went on there on the third. And unfortunately when I had villain on, that was an area that he didn't have quite as much firsthand knowledge about because um, he didn't get there until later. Um, but that puts you, you know, basically in a position to be able to help me with something that I've been having problems with. Now I know what I perceive to be what happened, you know, but it's one of the things that's frustrating about trying to figure out what's going on at these things. And that's why I gave the um, example to Villain Report that like Daniel Ellsberg used to work at the Pentagon and he was the guy who released the Pentagon papers. And what made him decide to go investigate what was going on in Vietnam himself was that what he was seeing in the paperwork didn't you know, add up. And, you know, that's kind of what I feel is going on with these situations is that there's a spin from both sides, you know, who have their own 
agendas, essentially. And then the police obviously also kind of have their own agenda about how they want events to be portrayed and to be understood. So, you know, we, the, the citizens, you know, most people who are kind of, I would say, um, on a team, you know, which is a nice way of saying cult, I guess, mm-hmm. when it comes to the left and the right. Um, you know, we have, most people are just kind of expected to just jump on whatever side of it they think is their side politically. And that's just never been how I've operated. Um, you know, so, but my guess was essentially is from what I saw, there's just plenty of footage out there of Antifa, um, attacking the protesters at the Wee Spa on the third. And that these protesters, they didn't look like hard-lined MAGA wearing, you know, uh, in fact, some of them just looked like moms, you know, or uh, I remember there That's was a, correct. yeah, yeah, like a Hispanic couple, you know, and that was actually the uh-huh. most quintessential perfect clip I saw was this Hispanic couple walking along peacefully with their signs and then getting confronted by Antifa, you know, and then assaulted, not quite as brutally as they assaulted some of the other people, because I guess, you know, they just kind of turned and left immediately, um, you know, but the point is, is that any like question in my mind, at least in that instant, was over as far as to who was the aggressor. And I think one of the things that I've encountered in my experience in talking to these people is that they are of the view that them initiating violence is self-defense. It's part of the Antifa um, philosophy that if you're engaging in, you know, in an offensive action against somebody who is perceived to be a fascist, then you're just trying to prevent fascism from rising. So therefore you have a carte blanche, you know, free ticket to just attack anybody you want, you know, but it's still an act mm-hmm. of self-defense. Now, when you and they've made that clear, right. They make it clear, but it's usually like, I would say only within their own circles to some degree, but, I talk to people all the time who still don't know that, you know, and if you right. try to tell them that Antifa attacks people without provocation, you know, if you're on Facebook, they'll click the laugh react or, you know, whatever, like that's just the most preposterous thing that they've ever heard, you know, and I got into an exchange with somebody like that. I don't know how much of my channel you've listened to, but, you know, um, she just was like, well, this video is inconclusive and that video is not conclusive and this isn't evidence. And then, you know, it's like, first I was like, okay, so this person is either a person in Antifa who's trying to like twist the narrative, or it's just somebody who's so brainwashed to believe that, you know, um, Antifa, you know, never does anything. But then again, she was also somebody who is part of the delusion of trying to pretend they don't exist, you know, right. um, which for those of us who've been in the left activism for longer, like I just kind of laugh about that because at Occupy, everybody knew who they were. You know, I mean, that's, you know, they mm-hmm. didn't they didn't make any bones about it, and they weren't trying to pretend they weren't there. The the, the reason it was a problem right. is that Occupy had a nonviolence strategy. You know, that was our big deal, mm. and Antifa would just follow us around and break stuff, and then we would have to deal with the media's misperception of us. You know, um, right. so anyway, you know, um, I guess let's just take it from the top. Uh, why don't you go ahead and explain? What made you come to the decision to go on July 3rd? And then what you experienced when you got there? Mm, I feel like I need to step back just a little bit, just so that. Go ahead, go ahead. To, to give you a little bit of my background, 
I've been covering just events in L.A. So whether that's on the right or the left, I've been to a lot of Trump rallies. I've tried to cover um, protests and and uh, different events on the left. It's much harder on the left because I'm clearly not welcome, even at press conferences that they're holding for the press. I've been run out because they see me. They don't want me there. Um, and and even the, the Trump rallies, I've, I've had people come up to me and ask me who I am and, and question why I'm there and, and what side I'm on. So it's not something new to me that I would have this issue. But uh, I had been following Antifa for a while and through their social media channels. I had seen um, prior to the third when uh, Cubana Angel posted up and her video went viral about what it, what had taken place at the spa that day. Um, I saw right away this protest at the Wee Spa where uh, I would say what, what I'll call the protesters, mostly from the right, were going out to protest the Wee Spa over. And when that, when that flyer came out and circulated through social media, I then saw the, the left, the counter-protesters, um, talking about going out and stopping this protest from going on. So I knew the week before that it was going to get ugly on the rhetoric that was coming from the counter-protesters about stopping people uh, and claiming trans rights and whatnot. Um, so I, I knew before I went out there on the third that it was it was going to be a heated debate, and also knowing that they tend to show up earlier in order to claim the space as their own and keep people from coming in. Uh, we had seen it happen during a White Lives Matter rally that they uh, turned out to be a honeypot in uh, in uh, Huntington Beach. Uh, they were down there even earlier than I was. And I sort of expected people to show up early. So I knew that showing up early in the morning on July 3rd, even at 9 o'clock, I was already late, which is exactly what happened. Uh, because as I drove around trying to figure out where I was going to park, I could see already at 9 o'clock in the morning that there were groups of Antifa members walking around and they were scouting. They were scouting for who knows what. They they were out in pairs walking several block radius of the Wee Spa. And then as I drove by Wee Spa, you could see that there was already at 9 a.m. at least 50 people that were standing out in front of the spa, all dressed in some not in block. But um, it was apparent at 9 that it was going to be trouble. So... Okay, so basically what you're getting at is just that you cover all kinds of stuff in L.A., not just, like, you know, activism stuff, as we've kind of, you know, gone over right. now. But, you know, yeah. so you arrived there then, um, and you said people were there pretty early then. Yes, because the, originally the protest um, against the Wee Spa was set for 11 o'clock. And um, one of the counter-protest posters that went out said 10 o'clock. And then as the week went and got closer to the third, I saw it change to 9 a.m. So hmm. uh, that's just traditionally been something that they've done tactically um, to counter I imagine these protests probably just so that, that they, they can, don't see. 
Right. So that they can get there and kind of ahead of time have a plan about what they're going to do now. So was I correct, I guess, then, and, you know, in my assessment that the protesters that showed up for the Wii Spa were not like your typical hardline, you know, protesters like they that's what it looked like to me they all just seem normal people like normal people right i i believe the protesters that showed up or were planning on showing up at 11 um they would be the group that came near closer to 11 o'clock and marched down wilshire boulevard towards we spa uh around 11 o'clock what the the people who had showed up earlier in fact uh, from that video that you sent me, uh, the one young man, Hiro, who claimed to be the organizer of the We Spa protest, he showed up uh, before I got there. So he was there sometime around 9 o'clock in the morning. And um, you see how he was met with the, the protesters, the counter-protesters. Uh, they took his signs. He reacted with pepper spray. And then they beat him up. They, a group of them, you know, went after him. Um, and then somewhere in there, I showed up and I think that's where you see, uh, the young man with the the white all over his face who came up to me saying that he had been pepper sprayed. He and I have a little bit of, uh, history together. Um, and when he said that to me that morning, I thought he was talking about January 6th in LA being sprayed. Uh, I didn't realize he was talking about that morning. I, I didn't even pick up on the fact that he had this stuff on his face because I knew that he's one of the people that usually makes, you know, tries to make me leave. He's part of that group of people that, um, you know, I would call their enforcers. And so I knew when he came up to me that I was sort of in a bit of, a bit of trouble and I was someplace that they didn't want me. Um, and I gave them that space and I went across the street. Um, so, uh, so then after in, in that time frame, you see the, the woman in the pink, she had shown up apparently to protest. So I think, I think that people that showed up prior to 11, I don't know if they were necessarily with the group that was going out to protest. Clearly Hira was, and he got there really early by himself. Probably a bad idea why he got out there so early. Who knows? Um, and then you had, what I would call the preacher group that showed up, um, the preacher in the white T-shirt. There was one in a black T-shirt, one in a blue T-shirt. Uh, they showed up uh, apparently after because uh, there was a, a, a man in a black shirt that had something slung over his body that after I had moved across the street from We Spa, they were drawn to him and were pushing him out. That's as I walked across the street to show what was going on as they were attacking him. Now, was he one of the ones who was with the preacher guy? Like, was he one of the ones who was Uh, with the preacher guy with the hat? Or It turns out he apparently was, based on some of the other video I've seen. He's within that group. But I hadn't seen the other preachers yet. Um, In fact, I never saw the preachers that day because – when I was attacked and pepper sprayed, I ended up going back to my vehicle to get myself cleaned up and get the pepper spray off me before I returned. And apparently in that time frame, that's when this group of preachers showed up. Uh, okay. Because I got back out on the street when the group of 
protesters that was supposed to show up at 11 was marching towards the Wee Spa from um, what would be MacArthur Park, which is east, uh, pardon me, west of Wee Spa. Okay. So, so they, I they guess so, towards Wee Spa. So the ongoing theme, though, is that, I mean, I'm, I did actually want to ask about those preachers because, um, you know, I if there was a group out there that I'd be concerned about how they might behave, might have, not to say that they would have been violent, but just as in, I don't know, like, you know, because there's that, I, I didn't know if they were like Westboro Baptist Church style fanatics or, you know, like what their, their story was like. So, I mean, like, how right. are they conducting themselves? I mean, do you think they were spewing hatred or? Well, from all the, from all the video I've seen so far, they, I haven't, I haven't heard any true hatred. They have their beliefs from what I've seen on the video. They didn't even have time to do that because in, in the one video that you see as they're walking what would be eastbound towards We Spa, they're coming up, and you see this group of black blocks heading towards them to cut them off, and they sort of move towards the middle of the street to go around the black block, and they just get stopped in their tracks. So that, that from the video, appears to be their, their first uh, run-in with the group that was there. Okay. Um, and it's so, not yeah, I guess well, with you... Antifa having already established the, like, more or less the perimeter, I guess, you know, they were able to right. catch these people as they filtered in, you know, in smaller right. groups and then just drive them off. You know, that's, yeah, that's kind of the feeling. That's one of the reasons I said it didn't really feel like these people were necessarily experienced. Like, I kind of got the impression that a lot of them probably had never even protested anything before. Um, well, I think he, this preacher group had because I, I actually spoke to what I believe is the, the leader of the group and um, tell me that they, they regrouped and moved. That's how they got to the, to the east side of Wee Spa, where uh, in that video you see the, the clump of them with their signs. There's the, uh, it, it turns out she's a nun in the yellow shirt. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, and then you've got the, the preacher in the blue and then the larger gentleman in the black shirt. Um, uh, there was also uh, a woman that was with them. Um, and as a group, I guess, from what I've been told, they had regrouped and were headed back out to protest. Um, and I've also been told they're sort of professional First Amendment, what I would call an auditor, First Amendment auditors. They're out challenging and uh per the man that i spoke to he he claims that you know when they when they lose their first amendment rights they file lawsuits against people because of that they are out there to make sure that they can have their voice whatever that may be um and they challenge that frequently apparently so um yeah so the, the westboro baptist church has a reputation kind of two groups yeah. Westboro Baptist Church has a reputation that apparently like several members of their family are lawyers. So they're, right. they're prepared in the event that somebody does anything to them. Um, and I'm not saying yeah, that's where they're from. Right. But they, they certainly didn't sound as what I've heard of the Westboro group. Um, they didn't sound that way at all. I never heard anything come out of their mouths that, you know, did you, I mean, like, was there anything on their signs that would indicate to you that they were transphobic or, like, know, again, or was I've it just the same video you have? And, oh, okay. Um, 
I, I've, I, you know, from I, I've paused and looked to see what the signs say. Right. Obviously, from a religious standpoint, they don't agree with that. Um, but, you know, I also know the people who were going out to protest against the We Spa. I had looked at all of their social media and I saw quite clearly what their argument was, um, which didn't appear to be transphobic, but right. their concern, you, you know, you, you guys talked about it yesterday or whatever it was sure. about what the issue was of um, being in the women's room and, you know, having this happen and, and what the expectation was. And that's all, that's what I had heard everybody talking about. And then, you know, I could tell that it was getting to the point where it was starting to sound like it was going to be a violent day because the, the last, the counter protesters were clearly making it about something that it wasn't. Well, right. And that's, so. as I've been trying to investigate this situation, like there was also another video that got circulated where a woman, um, I want to say she had like Hispanic skin tone, but she's, you know, she's, concealing her face in all of her videos for good reason, but she gives that account of going to the Wii Spa like back in January, you know, and her and her daughter were there and they were nude. And then this, you know, this trio of people come in and they, you know, it's not evidence, but they sound like, you know, the description she gives sounds like what members of Antifa look like when you see their mug shots, you know, like the typical tattoos, colored hair. And that's not evidence, but at the same time, the way they were behaving, sounded completely reasonable to me and what i kind of got out of it was like it sounds to me like three members of antifa thought it would be cute to go to this spa push this issue specifically so that they would have a reason to do something and then because that incident didn't lead to any protests i guess they figured they didn't have a reason to do it but you know other than that you know there's that precious child person and i've interacted with them on their youtube comments and a bit on their twitter Right. You know, but at, at the end of the day, none of them, like the ones who try to answer the question of whether or not it's okay, like gives right. them pretty cockamamie, ridiculous, like answers that don't make any sense. You know, Press's right. child literally just said, pay me and I'll answer you. Otherwise, you're irrelevant to me. Like I'm supposed right. to pay Precious Child to answer the question of should a pre-op trans woman be allowed to expose their penis to other women, you know, and children without the consent of the parties involved. You know, that's the simple question. And the answers I always get are, you know, either like the weirdness that you've seen already in some of my videos, like the lady who says that, you know, if you, you know, I as a trans person have a right to feel safe, you know, and if I have to go, or rather if I was a trans person, although she said she identified as trans separate issue, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and if I I deserve to go where I feel safe, and if I feel safe in a women's space, then that's where I have to go, you know, and the irony of the fact that that statement directly says, I need to feel safe. If you don't feel safe, because I'm in this space, well, that's on you. Like, (laughs) there's no way to make that work. You know, it's just, it's, it doesn't, and it's contradictory to other elements of the woke movement because, you know, where are the feminists in this situation, which is why there's a divide in the feminist groups right now, because, um, right. you know, there are feminists who are anti-trans and then there are feminists who are pro-trans, you know, and it just, 
but that's where I say it's like it's one thing to have an ideology, you know, that maybe is a little controversial, but it should at least be internally consistent. It should at least make some sort of rational sense, especially if you feel so strongly about it, then you're going to go out in the street and beat people up over it. You know, that's so precious. <laughs> yeah. Precious had put out a post on Instagram that claimed that she was alleged to be the one that was in the spa that day. And she used the, the word alleged, but when you read the post, and I called several people and said, hey, look at that post again and tell me how you're interpreting the post. They all said the same thing. She is admitting to being the person in the spa that Angel, Cabana Angel is talking about. And I said, well, that's not what's being told to me. And I reached out directly to Precious because her and I have a working relationship as live streamers. We, we can say hello to each other. And, mm-hmm. and we do it sort of under, you know, very quietly. Because sure. I know how much trouble she can get in for associating with me. And right. so when I reached out to Precious and I said, look, I have to know the answer to this question. Were you or were you not the person that was in the spa? She says, no. And in fact, she said, thank you for asking that question because nobody else is doing that. And I said, well, that's a problem because I see the hate that you're getting about this. I know you, or I sort of have had these conversations with Precious. And I said, why don't you just help stop this by making everyone clearly aware that it was not you. And even after I put out social media posts saying, I have confirmed with Precious it was not her in the spa, people still didn't believe me because of Precious's post. And You know, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and, and that, that disturbed me that Precious was unwilling to clarify to people. And going into the third it set up even more so this argument between the pro-trans and what they're calling anti-trans, even LAPD is saying anti-trans, which it's never been for the people that I've talked to seeing male genitalia in a women's space. And they've said that and tried to make that clear over and over again. So I'm like, okay, I know you're making that clear, but I can tell you that that's not what you're going into come Saturday the 3rd. And I was right. And that's, that's kind of how they, right. right. Well, that's how they try to frame it all the time. And like the funny thing about this is that I like the best person in my wedding is a trans person. I've left my children in the care of trans friends of mine who babysat them when they were younger. It's like, I don't, for example, believe that trans people are more likely to be pedophiles I think a pedophile might try to abuse the concept of trans to get access to children, but I don't think trans people are more likely to be pedophiles. I don't hate them. I don't, you know, just, you know, but it's like I actually got doxxed and death threats for making two videos analyzing the true science about the issue of transgender people in sports. 
you know, like they get really upset and they say, you're denying my right to exist. That's their favorite thing. And Precious themselves on their Twitter was like, you know, made a, st- a statement. I, I took a video of it was like, you know, I'm generally depressed about today. People are denying our right to exist and all of that. And I'm like, nobody protested about your right to exist. That, no. I mean, like there may have been people who did. That's why I was asking about those about the Christian I group. didn't see a single sign that said anything about anybody trans negatively in any way. Right. And I do remember people being accosted and the people trying to explain to them, to Antifa, that they, you know, that that's not, they, they didn't hate trans people. This was about the children, right. you know, and, right. it, it, and I just, the, the thing is, is that here's the point that I made to, um, to, um, uh, the, you know the uh, I'm sorry now I'm having a terrible moment trying to remember his name because it's a it's a it's like essentially an assumed name no not precious actually the fellow I just talked oh. to last night um Vil- the say that again villain yeah villain there we go I was yeah. I was gonna say vigilante I was like I know it's not yeah. vigilante <laughs> anyway it was villain I was talking to villain I was like you know at the end of the day it doesn't matter if it was a hoax or not because right. because that's their new things just to try to say that it didn't happen. You know, like okay. I can I can prove that it did happen based on what was in that video. Right. Well, no, and, and that's what. But yeah. what I'm getting at though is is that even if it didn't, they're still defending that that should be possible. Like everybody in the situation is still saying, well, if a trans person wants to do this, then they just should be allowed to do this. You know. Right. So that's Except what I was getting for- at the people that I've spoken to on the left that that all disagree, I don't want to name names, but say, no, my kids, I don't want them in that space. These are two sure. prominent figures that I've been dealing with lately, you know, in private conversations, say, no, I don't, I'm not okay with that either. They would be on the same side as the protesters going up to We Spa and even Precious herself said, no, I don't think it's been marked as a co-ed space then yes, it would be a totally different argument. But even Precious herself did not agree with male genitalia being in a women's space under those circumstances. Well, being, that's good to hear, and I'm willing to believe yeah. that for sure. You know, I guess I it wasn't... I could give you the text messages that showed that. I just haven't... No, I, I don't... I believe I, I, I like Precious. I like Precious a lot, and I've, I'll be honest, I've never talked to Precious and stood there and thought, oh, pedophile. It's not something – I don't equate that. Um, and I like Precious I didn't get that vibe because... from them either. No. Oh, I no. did get the vibe, I get, though. I get, I, mean... I get pedophile vibes from people who are creepy that right. do, you know, look at children strange. That's, that's where I, you know, that's where I go. Um, but, yeah, when I started seeing it, I was like, oh please don't do this because I knew it was an incendiary moment put out and there was no stopping it. Well, and that's the thing that bothers me even from the activist perspective. And that's one of the things I said in one of my videos is like, if you're a member of Antifa listening to this, what you just did is going to cause real transphobia. Like as in full on, we hate you. Now we don't think you have a right to exist. Why? Because you get gangs of people to beat up innocent people, you know, who are protesting. It's like, it was like, you just basically like when they involved Antifa in the situation and Antifa just used it as an opportunity to beat people up, 
you know, and in ways that were vicious, you know, and in ways that right. were indiscriminate, you know, attacking innocent people. I was like, do you think any of this helped the trans community? Because, but right. it all comes back to one of the things I remember, there was a Black Lives Matter chapter that uh, started to form in the small town next to my small town. And because I'm an activist, you know, people added me to this Facebook group and I just kind of was initially kind of quietly reading as I watched this thing develop. And, you know, initially it was meant to just be kind of a peaceful, we're going to go out and we're going to march and stuff like that. And then, you know, some people of color came in and said, well, you guys are white. You can't run this. We're going to run this and we're going to make it much more militant. You know, essentially they just kind of started to try to turn it into something very negative very quickly, you know, and, but the point is, is that at one point during my conversations with them, I exposed them to the work of Daryl Davis, who was actually going to be on my show later this week. Um, and Daryl Davis is a black man who goes to Ku Klux Klan rallies. And what he does is he humanizes black people to these racists to the point that they just lose interest in racism because he befriends them, you know, um, right. and he actually ends racism with these people, real racists, yeah. not people that are being called racist because they didn't like the Star Wars films, you know, or the new ones, maybe, right. you know, or didn't like sure. Black Panther or something, you know, real right. racists. You know, but what they said was, I said, well, you know, they're like, well, I don't, you know, I don't like his strategy. You don't need to do that with these people, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, how do you think you're ever going to convince anybody? And they said, well, I don't want to convince anybody. I want to make them afraid. You know, and I was like, oh, boy. I'm like, if you Which understand anything. Creates more hate. Right, exactly. If you know anything about the psychology of hatred, you understand that it's almost all based in fear. You know, I was watching a documentary about the KKK recently what's left of them because it's really kind of a pathetic organization it's so much smaller than it used to be but what the documentarian who was actually a european you know said as he was kind of closing it up with like his final thoughts was that this is clearly a group of people who are afraid and i'm like oh well there we go mm. yep so i just it's like if you want people to accept you like if i was the one trying to handle that situation and i was a trans activist I'd be having a peaceful moment where we sat and talked to those right. people where we spoke out about how, no, we don't want to hurt your children. You know, that, that they didn't do any of that. Instead, it's, it's, they right. gave them every reason to hate them. And then they yeah. also, because of the way they treated you and everybody there, you know, that incites the real people who are going to want to engage in violence against trans people to show right. up, yeah. you know? So, I guess, like, go ahead and give your specific story about how you went in there. You know, I, I've seen it on video in pieces, but, you know, you just kind of showed up and then what, did they just start attacking you immediately or was there a progression? No, there's progression. And I, I made a couple, I, I made a few mistakes. I, I, that were there covering the event, knowing that it was going on and I know typically that I cannot be out and about within the Antifa group without police around um, because in the past they've shown that the minute there's no police around uh, I'm getting attacked. And I felt really comfortable that day because I knew that there was people around that I knew and it was daytime and I gave these people way too much credit thinking that they would not attack me the way they did. And immediately I got my camera going. I had a couple little technical things, but just because I was so focused on who I was seeing 
and knowing these usual faces around and the, the press that was out there already at that moment, I made the decision to try to cross the street. And I saw local news media was out, uh, which is typical. Local news media usually shows up at the beginning or at the end of an event. They don't document the entire thing usually. They get in there, they get their B-roll, and then they go off and they do their story about whatever they think happened. And I sort of made my way up what is Rampart Street towards the back entrance of Spa when this young man came up to me and said, you're not welcome here. You know, they, they wanted to push me out. I had actually walked up all the way to the entrance of the spa where you know, some of the news trucks were, and I walked around showing what was going on, and uh, a number of the other protesters, we'll keep it at the counter-protesters, were, were saying things to me, and they're, they're calling me out by name. They, they know who I am. It's clear they don't like me. I give them a hello and a wink and say hi and try to be pleasant and kind of let the, let the hate bounce off of me. And I walked around, and uh, uh, I don't think my stream was going out very well for whatever reason. Um, uh, so it wasn't necessarily all captured on camera, but I have it recorded because of the way I've been working. Anyway, um, uh then I got pushed over across the street. I, they asked me to go across the street. I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go across the street because I knew that the potential for that danger was there, and I'm going to appease them and just go cover it from a distance. Because in the, in the few months that I've been doing this, I've learned that if I try to give them that and I stay back and you know, not show their faces but just show a wide shot of what's going on, I can sometimes get away with it. Um, and I also knew that there was no police around. So if they, you know, if they did decide to come after me, I was in trouble. And, um, and that's what ended up happening when they attacked this uh, guy in the black T-shirt. And I, and I moved across the street. It looked like because of my lens setting, because I was so far across the street that I was on my telephoto lens, that as I walked up, it appeared that I was really close. But from some of that video that you can see that you sent me, you could see that I wasn't that close. It was the girl with the Antifa flag that I first realized this is going to be bad because instead of doing what she'd normally do is just put her flag up or put an umbrella up in front of me and not touch me with it, she was all over my camera with it. And then, you know, one of them came around and slapped my, slapped my uh, monopod. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of here? This is a lot of people and they don't care about this preacher anymore, this other guy. They now care about me. And what is my egress going to be? Because I knew I was in trouble right away. And I had made a really bad miscalculation on the day. Um, and that's when, again, the girl with the flag and, and their tactics, it all happened so fast. And I'm thinking about what I'm going to do, how I'm going to get out of there. I've, I've already gotten caught where I'm behind. And that's when I get. Uh, a soccer punch from behind the flag and it, it just yeah it got ugly really really fast they pepper sprayed me three times and um some of that video that was in there i hadn't seen before and uh it, it's it's really amazing how i want to say savage i got to give them credit for being so well organized in how they did it um 
there's a moment where I get knocked down by the guy with the skateboard. And my first thought was, if I don't get up fast, I'm in trouble because uh, they they just kicking people while they were down. Like they were brutally. The funny thing is that's when it steps into felonious assault. I remember it. That's when you're like, you can't just do that. And the cops just, they they didn't do anything about it on the third at all. Right. Yeah. I did not want to lose my, I had, I have two iPhones basically on my rig and, uh, sadly that was sort of my biggest concern was that's what I didn't want to lose. Um, but, uh, it was, my instinct was to go across that, uh, hedge and create some space. And then I got pushed as I was going over the hedge, but it was funny to see in that video how like, they wouldn't cross that hedge like that. That was like kryptonite for them. I was like, that is so weird to see that. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that instinct was, was good. But uh, obviously they, they chased me all the way to Coronado, which was that next street where fortunately there was a police car that was coming out. Um, right. And that's when they all backed off. Um, so I, I feel like I got lucky that that police car was there, but um you know, that's where that moment ended for me, uh, which gave me the ability to sort of regroup and, and, and get cleaned off. The ambulance showed up because, you know, I had, I had so much pepper spray on me, but the, the ambulance was like, yeah, there's nothing we can really do for you. You need to go home and shower. I'm like, okay, well then forget it. Because I didn't want them to have the, the moment of seeing me getting treated for what was going on. And I'm like, you know, that's okay, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of this thing, and I'm gonna go, and I'll take care of myself. And that's what I did. I, I went to my my truck, and I had a bunch of bottles of water. I basically just hosed myself down, got the burning to stop. And I was like, okay, what gear am I gonna lose? Where am I gonna go? And I went back out with just my camera handheld to document the rest of it, with the hopes of basically um, doing exactly what they hate, which is getting their faces. And they, you know, they just stand out there and show me who they are and taunt me after this attack, which I find really stupid that they would basically admit to doing this and be on camera. It's daytime. And I was just mad, but I was not going to let them know that they got the best of me. And I just went out there and kept recording. And that's when, uh, when I first got out there, uh, I heard the group of, you know, uh, original protesters coming down the street, what, what the left would call the proud boys and the Patriots and whatnot. They're coming down the street towards the wee spa. And that's when, um, there's another big clash that happens. Apparently there's some knives that get pulled. Um, so this is on the third, still, a lot right? Of this is all still just the third. Okay. And okay. at this point, the, the, I think we see in that video that you sent, which is uh, the, the preacher with the blue has been attacked and hit over the head. And apparently that's when um, uh, an officer on scene, there was, from what I understand, there was two units that were uh, detailed to we spa that day that were out there, two, two squad cars that were out there to monitor the situation. Well, apparently some point after I had contact with LAPD, that LAPD officers put out a help call, and that's what brought in the cavalry, uh, even though it took apparently um, over an hour. 
before they had enough resources to do anything. So uh, what I understand is that the officers that showed up that were there when the, the man in the blue had gotten hit over the head and they walked towards the officers, which is eastbound Wilshire from We Spa, those officers were coming from an outside division from Rampart. They're just showing up and they're trying to determine what's going on. They're trying to coordinate to put together a line and basically bring this all to an end. Um, now, just to take a quick not, moment for, uh, yeah. for clarification, because um, uh, there's not really a lot of footage on the third of any people that I would have associated as Proud Boys, at least not that I've seen. But now that it's gone later, it's kind of hard to differentiate what date you're dealing with when you're looking at the video clips. Um, but you're saying that there was right. kind of an organized right element that showed up eventually? Um, yeah. What, 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 what is the group of people that I would, I believe, were coming out to protest at 11, at 11 a.m.? Okay, okay. Uh, it's, it, it looks as though, from what I understand, they ended up meeting in the park as a meeting point to go protest, knowing that by this point, these people had been there. Um, some of them have said that they had seen my live stream. They were getting video from other sources, so they knew what was going on down there. They knew that right. people were being attacked, and apparently that brought some people in because they were seeing, you know, what was happening. And they're like, this is not, this is, we're going down there. Um, and so that's that group that came eastbound on Wilshire. Okay. Uh, okay. That met up with Antifa basically. Uh, okay. Well, I'm glad I got that information because up until now, yeah. I didn't know that there was any kind of right element. I thought it was pretty much just those people you see getting the crap beat out of them by 30 plus or whatever Antifa kids you know, who are just right. singling them out one at a time, yeah. you know. Um, right. But I guess, if anyway, go ahead and continue with what you were saying about the police. Yeah. Or unless My you had something else, go ahead. That, well, yeah. no, just because of what you were saying about the group. I don't think there was that many people that were going out to protest the We Spot. I bet you, you know, there might have been 20, maybe 30 people that would have protested in front of We Spot and stood there with some signs had Antifa not been there saw show up that day like it wouldn't have been a big deal it wouldn't have been enough to you know cause that sort of violence towards anybody that would have made it worthwhile in the bad light of what antifa did that day to just ignore it that's that's my gut based on the numbers that i saw show up uh, that makes sense what would be the right or the the protest group um, uh, but, uh, so, so literally what ended up happening was, is you've got police organizing to the east of We Spa and you've got this group of the group from the right marching eastbound from MacArthur Park up Wilshire. And you've got the group from the We Spa that is marching towards them westbound on Wilshire. And right. they basically collide at Coronado where um, you get some fights that start. There's some assaults that occur. There's a pepper spraying that happens. There's 
sort of this, this melee that occurs. And while that's happening, all of a sudden behind most of the people that you see video from, which would be those on, those on the right, um, there's a group of officers which have now started to form a line, which then ends up separating the two groups of people uh, that were fighting in the street. And then after that, they, they sort of blocked people off. But then as the, the protester group heads back towards the park, there's another sort of fight that occurs with some press people and um, some, of the, some of the Patriot protesters um, before everybody breaks up and heads back. And now at this right. point in the day, it's, it's after 11 o'clock, the two groups have been separated. Now Antifa turns their protest instead of towards anybody coming to the Wee Spa. They now are going after the cops. And the cops have hmm. formed their line. They've, they've shut down Wilshire Boulevard. And they're pushing uh, the protesters back towards Wee Spa. Um, and that's when we see the dumpster get pushed out and set on fire. Um, and now they're you know, throwing objects at the police. And the police basically respond by just calling a uh, dispersal and people sort of de-block and leave from there. Um, and that ended the day on the 3rd. So, okay. So, yeah, that's like a lot of the video that I had seen from the earlier portions of the day. Like, people are making it to the cops and the cops are like, we can't help you. You know, like, if you don't right. like what's going on, you should just leave. You know, I was kind of frustrated with that, and that's the kind of stuff that drives villain crazy. Um, right. You know, especially because they're witnessing well, it. And then go ahead with what you were going to say. Well, in, in regards to that, like the the group, the the preacher group, they're clearly assaulted. He's bleeding. Oh, and then there's like this other guy that ended up having some uh, rosaries that he hit one of the one of the Antifa people with, oh, sort of yeah. in front of the police. Right. That all happened right there on that corner east of We Spa. But, you know, right then and there, the preachers want to file a police report. And the cops are like, no, now is not the time. We have to get control of the crowd. And the preachers were upset, apparently, from what they told me, that the police didn't want to take the report. Um, and then I've heard at the same time that, you know, it wasn't the time to do that. And the, the officers had said, look, stand back here we'll come back and we'll, we'll take care of the report as soon as we get the crowd under control. Um, so. Unfortunately, that pretty much yeah. ensures that nobody's going to get arrested at that point. Um, and that's right. The police one are of the things. There's, right. There's well, yeah. And I can't they know about the assaults. Right. Right. That's kind of what, I mean, I, I was, uh, villain was, is pretty um, jaded about this particular issue and I get it. Um, it's just that, I've actually watched a video and it occurs to me, I forgot to share it with him, but there's a video that discusses what police tactics are when dealing with riots. And one part of it is that they acknowledge out of the gate that they very likely do not have a sufficient number of police officers to ever actually stop a riot. Um, unless yeah. that they've, you know, unless and they've they gotten that day. Right. Yeah. And unless they, they have, have the numbers to initiate arrests. Right. And they, they've, I've heard four to one, I've heard 10 to one, like, you know, and I get why they would need that many because they get de-arrested. And if it's a really hostile crowd, like those crazy, I don't even remember seeing that crazy video in New York where a guy walked up with a brick and just smashed it over the back of a cop's head. You know, it's yeah. like, 
so imagine you're trying to arrest somebody and you're kneeling down to put the cuffs on them and right. some guy comes up and hits you, you know, so that only right. makes it even more complicated, you know, and then on yeah. top of all that, if you're in Portland or one of these places where the DA is like asleep or something, you know, then they're right. not going to, pro- they're not going to prosecute them anyway. You know, that's really right. the most maddening part about all of this is that, there's like, you know, dozens of felonies going on, you know, and misdemeanors going on right there, you know, and like, because they're creating a situation where essentially the police are sending the message that um, we are not really equipped to handle this. So you're kind of on your own. It turns the circumstance of of the protest itself into like a, a brief wild west scenario, you know, right. And, you know, the, the fact that more people haven't been shot is honestly kind of surprising to me, um, yeah. you know, because that's the kind of thought that goes through your head when you're looking at this kind of stuff going on. It's like, well, Jesus, if I right. ever went to one of those, I'd want to be armed, you know. And yeah. that's the funny thing that um, because I did a lot of work on the Kyle Rittenhouse incident, you know, all these people from the left on this on the left side of it say, like, well, he shouldn't even have had a gun. And I'm like, well, despite the fact that there were several people on camera from the Black Lives Matter group with guns in their hands, um, one of which was the first shooter, um, Joshua Zeminski, who actually got arrested as a result of my video, um, you know, that are all felons. Like, they're not supposed to have them either, you know, and it's just, it comes down to this. Like, if that armed group that was in Kenosha wasn't armed, that group would have just walked over there and stomped on them. You know, that they were, they were really militantly angry that somebody put out their dumpster fire, you know, but as far as to what's like relevant to WeSpot, it's like, um, they're just kind of running roughshod over everybody. They're all using weapons of some kind, you know, and the reason, the real reason that they want to demonize the idea of firearms at these protests is because they know that's going to put, you know, a damper on their monopoly of force of the situation, Um, you know, and it puts them in a situation where they're not necessarily going to be as in control of the violence as they would like to be, you know, and that's unfortunate. But the the funny thing is, is that these people are very anti-gun and I'm a rare leftist who's (laughs) pro-gun, you know, but I'm like, you guys are giving people reasons to want to own guns, you know, honestly, I was like, you know, I I cannot imagine being unarmed and living, say, near Minneapolis or living near where any of these things are going on, Um, you know, because and I've I've even contacted friends of mine that I know live in those areas. I'm like, you guys have you guys are armed, right? Like you can protect yourself because you're not going to get a response from the police, you know, at least not within time of actually being able to help you. Right. So they're forcing a situation that puts us in a circumstance where. People either get to choose to defend themselves or just let these mobs do whatever they want. And what do they want right. to do? Well, they either want to assault people or they want to destroy their property or they, you know, and if you don't like that, they're destroying your property, then you get told, well, you think that property is more important than people, you know, as if, right. especially when it's somebody's business, you know, as if that right. has no implications yeah. on their life, you know? Um, so, you know, with all of these things, you know, that happened on July 3rd, did you end up going back on any of the other days or did you kind of get your fill of it on that day? Oh, no. Uh, I So uh, just to take a little bit of a step back, 
uh, Go ahead. because you brought up uh, something that I had forgot, which was um, when they first separated the crowds, the two crowds, and LAPD formed a line, they did shoot off some uh, some shotgun rounds, uh, beanbag shotgun rounds. One of them was because this one fella tried to throw a water bottle at me. When he threw a water bottle at me, the, the uh, officer instantly shot towards one of them, them in the leg with the, with the beanbag. And then right. after that happened, the Antifa counter protest side was getting really sort of violent towards the officers. And there's one young man who apparently he's wearing a blue jacket, uh, got really ballsy and struck an officer with a shotgun in the face. And I had heard about this because he was wanted by LAPD for an assault on an officer. And when I went back and watched my footage, I caught that incident on camera, not realizing it. And, um, you know, it's sort of the typical tactic that somebody comes from the back, they hit the officer, and then they dive behind the group and the group creates a wall hiding that person. And he managed to get away from the officers that day. Um, So technically they probably would have wanted to have made an arrest, but because of their numbers, weren't able to initiate that. Um, uh, um, Also too, is is during the, the day of the third, there were two journalists that were attacked by apparently the same person, one of which uh, was a conservative um, uh, uh, journalist, and then the mm-hmm. other one was a a um, a leftist journalist, part of their you know authorized media, and that person ended up reaching out to me uh, a few days later. And I'm not going to get into the whole story, but basically what I was told by this person was, is he feared that things were getting really bad and the attacks on the media, especially me, were going to increase because the left was mad because their journalists had been attacked by somebody from the right. And uh, he reached out to me because he didn't want to see this continue and was trying to put a stop to it and... So at this point, I'm like, okay, um, I know that they're going to go back out again on the 17th. And I know that I've sort of got a, a bigger target on my back, bigger than normal. And um, I made the decision that I wasn't sure if I was going to go back out because I, I knew that it would be very difficult for me to be out there. Uh, but I, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back out there because I'm not going to let them scare me. I, right. I, I was going to go out and and cover and do what I was going to do. So um, that's what I did. And I, I played it very careful. And in fact, Dylan had reached out to me the day before, said, hey, I'm coming into town. Would you be willing to sort of host me? And I'm like, absolutely. I didn't know Dylan. I didn't know anything about him. I hadn't really seen his stream. And and we had a nice conversation, and I yeah. So I, I I picked him up and drove him around that day, and and we, we I, I like the friendship Bill and I have now, and it, and it's really interesting because it's it's uh, you know we come from two different worlds, and and we're able to get along and have these conversations, and um, so 
So we showed up on the on the the morning of the third. He went off and he did his thing. He went right into Antifa, and I was like, God, this guy, you know, he's 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 gusty. Um, and uh, I sort of monitored what was going on. I had seen I had seen that what LAPD had decided to do was basically put themselves in front of We Spa, which for me was tough because what they did was they allowed Antifa to then be outside of that circle where anybody who approached now had no support. Um, and we showed up at eight o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. uh, at We Spa. And I was actually able to walk all the way down to We Spa at eight. Uh, I had seen a group of officers stand on the corner where I'd parked a couple blocks away and walked down and talked to them where I saw uh, the left had put up some, uh, they put up some giant stickers on the front of the marquee of the theater that's there. And also, too, is Antifa had gone through the night before and spray-painted all the buildings up and down Wilshire Boulevard, uh, sort of in a two-block range of the wee spot. Nazis go home, you know, all the typical Antifa stuff. And uh, um, so I stood there and talked to the officers about that. And... Uh, then I, then I walked myself down to Wee Spa where there was a group of officers down in the front. And uh, one of the officers threw out to me because he saw my press pass. He goes, uh, this is going to be the press area, this corner over here. I was like, okay, cool. Thank you very much. Um, and at that point, I sort of had contact with a young man who's part of Antifa and had some words with him. And um, I, I could tell already that it was going to be a tough day and I was going to, I was going to be, having a hard time covering anything that was going on. And uh, so as the crowd built and the police put themselves on that corner in front of the, the spa, um, the press lost that corner. Um, and Antifa ended up taking the three corners opposite of We Spa uh, where they were protesting. Um, so I sort of worked my way around the backside in my vehicle watching what was going on, sort of monitoring where everybody was at, and um, ended up coming up on the backside of Wee Spa um, uh, because that's, that's the way the police had set up, and that was the only way I could sort of safely be out of my vehicle and seeing what was going on. Um, and, of course, right away they, they noticed me, and they, they saw that I was back there and sort of yelling at me, but it was – I don't know, the second or third time that morning that a group had sort of started coming towards me as they saw that I was out and about. Right. So, um, yeah, I was, I was a little nervous, <laughs> especially <laughs> being out there by myself. Um, and at this point, you know, villain, he's, he's in and around We Spa doing his thing. And um, Well, I think when they encounter him, they initially can't tell if he's not one of them. Like, his his address and his demeanor, you know, might make you think he's Antifa if you look at him initially. Right. Oh, like, yeah. He you totally know, looked like Antifa the way he was out there. <laughs> right. And that's and that throws them off, you know. Um, yeah. And then like they take time asking him questions, trying to figure out like that's where you end up with that confrontation with the the big girl who identifies as three different things that you can't be at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, and then yeah. makes the argument that she's the one who said, you know, like, well, if you sexualize someone else's genitalia, that's on you or whatever. But, you know, um, 
and I and I see now as I'm looking at it, like Drew Hernandez, for example, makes his living with some kind of hidden camera technology, and he doesn't share it, and I can't yeah. really blame him. Um, you know, but he mm-hmm. gets stuff that we would never get otherwise because he gets the stuff that they do yeah. when they don't think they're being filmed. You know, but yeah, I've been um, asked I, I would, why I don't do that. <laughs> well, you know, and at this point, I mean, I, I can understand it. I just it, the the thing is, is that you know what I've kind of grasped is that you know maybe sure maybe some of it is that they don't like that their press people were attacked, but it's also kind of that they want to have control of the narrative. They don't want anybody who's not on their team videotaping anyway, seems to be my understanding of the situation, you know, um, and that's why Hernandez talks about their propaganda machine. Like they know what they're doing, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. you know, why I discussed like Drew kind of laid out the, you know, the timeline of what they do, which is, you know, well, they're going to go out there. um, They're going to start throwing stuff at the cops, you know, and in a way that makes it difficult to figure out who did it. So then the cops, declare their unlawful assembly. So then the cops start trying to clear people and then their cameras start rolling so that they can get little clips of them getting hit, you know, with beanbag grounds or getting hit over the head with a uh-huh. club or, you know, so that they, and I just watched on Twitter as this kind of happened in real time where they tried to shift the public consciousness of what took place into police attacking peaceful protesters unprovoked. Right. And I'm like, yeah. unfortunately, right. I mean, they were anything but peaceful protesters. Right. Well, yeah, no, I, I never, I never had any illusions about that, they were but I think up until the point where the protesters showed up and the police cut them off on Wilshire, that's right. when you saw it instantly change because the barrage of items being thrown towards the protester group was, you know, smoke grenades, which were clearly commercial-grade smoke canisters that you would see coming from the military or police in different colors, you know, right. rocks and bottles. And um, it was insane. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that they didn't even hold back. They just instantly were, were triggered. Right. And, well, and I think that um, one of the things that, occurs to me through all of this is the same thing villain and i talked about he talked about one of his frustrations is that these people are getting an overinflated idea of how dangerous they are and you know i live out in a conservative town you know um and if they ever tried that stuff here it wouldn't last (laughs) i mean aside from the fact that the local mayor would never tell the police not to do anything about it the community would be out in the streets you know and they'd be armed and they wouldn't be playing, yeah. you know, that's, and yeah. that's why I think they selectively are very careful about where they go, you know, um, because they know they're not going to be able to get away with it in certain places, but they're trying to project power everywhere to give people the impression that they can come anywhere. And they've even made statements like, right. you know, we are coming for your city and all that. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to last, yeah. you know? Um, right. And, but concerns me is that, um, it always feels when I'm watching this stuff that um, aside from the fact these people get delusions of grandeur, that they're somehow the equivalent of like stol- soldiers storming the beaches of Normandy to fight fascism or, you know, yeah. or com- comparing themselves to the Viet Cong or whatever. And I'm like, you guys don't know what you're talking about at all. I was like, you have no concept of that. And 
And you see it when they finally do meet real resistance, when they meet right. another group of people who's organized, who comes after them. And, um, you know, and then they get, that's when they go into victim mode, which is what, you know, Precious was doing right. when they got their butts kicked, you know, at one of the protests. You know, but I think that, um, I guess when I look into the future, what I'm really concerned about is that back in 2008, when we were in Occupy, we were dealing with George Bush and we were dealing with Obama, you know, when the Patriot Act come out, you know, I'm, you know, you look at the definition of domestic terrorism in the Patriot Act. And um, I went over this in my documentary called um, Hindsight is Always 2020, which was like insurrection, <laughs> Hindsight is Always 2020, which was comparing the riots of the summer to the one on the 6th in Jan- you know, January 6th, you know, I was like, yeah. you guys are all domestic terrorists, according to the Patriot Act, all of you, you know, sure. like, um, yeah, they, 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 every single part of the definition, I go over it line by line, um, you know, so especially now that the cops are starting to take their own video, you know, that's back then we were thinking that that was for the purposes of, um, you know, trying to make a, you know, essentially kind of a, a file on everybody you know, who they think could be labeled a terrorist later so that they could go round these people up. And I think that whenever, whoever it is that's benefiting from this has finally had their fill of them is when that's going to happen. You know, um, and I and I, I feel badly because it's clear to me that a lot of these people who end up in this stuff, you know, frequently they're people who perhaps don't fit in anywhere else. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like a cult in that way. Um, yeah. You know, and... It's it's unfortunate because I think that they're going to get a rude awakening, you know, in the way that some of the really weird people at the January 6th riot got a rude awakening, you know, yeah. you know, um, when they got arrested and they're like, oh, this isn't this isn't me talking to my computer anymore. This is real world trouble. Right. You know, I guess what I'm trying to, like, wrap my head around is when is that going to finally come to an end? I mean, Joe Biden comes out and says that, you know, anarchists and, you know, and all that should be prosecuted. You know, but how do these district attorneys keep their jobs, you know, just letting these people get arrested, especially in Portland, you know, in Portland, they're back out on the streets in hours, you know, like, how do you, how does this just continue? Like, I don't, it makes me wish I could discuss this with those district attorneys and just call them out. Like, you know, explain this to me, you know, it's important when they do stuff like throw Molotov cocktails at the police. You know, like, right. how does that person get back out on the street? You know, and Villain talked about what happened to that guy. Like, I guess they just got, like, 11 months probation or something like that. Like, you know, like, I, I can't remember what the – it wasn't it wasn't correct, that's for sure. <laughs> you throw a Molotov cocktail at somebody, you're trying to kill them, you know. Um, I guess uh, just kind of further now we can discuss just, like, um, what are your impressions now, having gotten involved in all this? Like, what are – you know, when you kind of, like – look at this as somebody who was there, you know, we discussed a little bit about what your instincts were about it, but like, you know, and also like if you had had anything that you had heard in my discussion with villain that you, you know, decided maybe you'd had some comments about, you know, feel free to share them now. Hmm. Um, I, I thought you and villain covered the politics of it quite well. Um, I think we've seen sort of a change to the group dynamics, which, you know, villain was pepper sprayed by somebody from the right. Um, Other P 
people with cameras were stopped and questioned and um, assaulted uh, on the on the 17th. Um, I, I think, from what I'm seeing, it's getting worse. And I I, I don't want to speculate as to why that is. But like, for instance, with me, um, when I had a group of Antifa, I was trying to get back to my vehicle and directly in front of a group of officers behind We Spa, I had a group of Antifa come up to me and they're, they're stopping me from filming. They, as it turns out, one of the people within that group was Drew Hernandez, who I didn't know at the time. I've heard of Drew. I did not know it was him. Um, who at the moment I actually took as the biggest threat to me out there because of how he was dressed and what he was doing during this moment. Um, um, So I had to react and do certain things, knowing that I've got this group of officers that are standing behind me, to only have them say, you need to leave, you need to go down the street. And I'm like, "Are are you serious? Like, that's how you're going to handle this situation. And I see this group of Antifa go, yeah, there you go. Look, see, we can do whatever we want. And this group proceeded to follow me back down to the parallel street south of, eight, uh, south of Wilshire. Um, and the only thing I could do at that point was go, okay, well, I'm going to head towards the next group of police officers with this group of, you know, 10, 12 people in tow, one of which was another uh, press person who I didn't know who he was at the time. I, I, I went off of what he looked like and made the decision that based on he did nothing while they were stopping me, um, that he was Antifa press. Uh, they weren't bothered by him. They were bothered only by me. So I'm like, okay, so he's not an ally and there's nobody in this group that's an ally. I'm literally out on the street by myself at this point with groups of Antifa roaming around because uh, LAPD had, had cut them off and whatnot. So I headed back to um, towards where LAPD was out in the middle of the street where I had just left um, to get down there to basically have an officer go, yeah, I can't help you. You have to go this way, which is further from my vehicle. Um, and by myself again, even though the, she was a, a, a public information officer, a PIO, she's like, oh, some other press people went that way. I go, oh, yeah, they're leftist press. They're not going to be any help to me either. So you're sending me away by myself with Antifa in tow, and you're not going to do anything to make sure that I'm safe. Okay, I get what's going on. I, I'm I'm well aware, and so I was a little disturbed by that. And then by that point, uh, villain had been pepper sprayed, and I was hearing through my live stream and and how I communicate that this had happened. So I start looking for villain. I ended my live stream at that point, um, and uh, uh, just wanted to make sure I got to villain. And then the two of us were able to get back to the vehicle safely without, you know, any further attack. Um, and that's how, that's how, well, it's not how my day ended. It's how his day ended. 
Um, and I went back and I covered uh, what turned out to be the kettle um, that they caught 41 of them in. Right. Yeah, I, I saw uh, pictures yeah. of that. I know they arrested a bunch of them. Did they? Now, what yeah. happened with that? Did they all? Did any of them stay in jail, or are they all back out no. again? No. According to LAPD, they were all they were all processed through. Um, all but one person. Uh, one person had um, what was considered weapons under the fifty-five point zero seven. Um, municipal code about uh, items permitted or not permitted at a, a protest, um, but everybody else got uh, citations for failure to disperse and let go. So, <laughs> you know, I remember yeah. during the Portland stuff, like um, at one point, for whatever reason, uh, the people in charge actually arrested everybody. And then actually kept them for once. And as a result, the right. riots ended for like three or four days because the instigators yeah. were all in jail, you know, and it, that's why I say I really want to like, you know, put the, you know, the screws to the thumbs of some of these DAs and figure out what the hell's going on, you know, because right. they, they're basically setting up a situation where they know that they're just going to be able to do this whenever they want. You know, and as long as they just keep doing that, they're just going to get more and more bold, you know, and I think that it wouldn't even take much. Like if you just arrested all of these people, prosecuted them to the full extent of the law, it wouldn't take more than a couple of times. What are you going to prosecute them for? What law do you break? Well, right. That's well, that is always one of the questions, I guess, but it's. You know, when you see all the assaults and stuff, the problem is, is that then you got to identify which ones they are, you know, right. um, that's like, that's why I said, like, as soon as like they are in that scenario where, you know, the, they're like, well, we're not taking reports right now. Like they're never going to catch the person who actually hit them. If the right. person's standing right there, they could, you know, but it almost right. seems, I guess what I'm getting at though, is, is that they have actually like kettled them and, you know, like um, went after them hardcore I don't think you would take more than a couple of times for most of these people just to quit. You know, I know, for example, I've heard, and I don't, I can't confirm this, but I heard a rumor that the Proud Boys are hurting pretty hard right now because a bunch of them have been indicted for the Capitol riot stuff and they're not getting out. <laughs> so it's like right. kind of, you know, right. sending a message of through the, through, yeah. through the entire hey, organization. Hey, scenario, it's worked. Right. Right. right which if, is, if, if you were out there protesting, committing violent acts, um, breaking the law, and you knew that there was a chance that you'd go to jail for it, I guarantee you wouldn't be doing it. A lot less people, that's for sure. sure. A lot less people. Sure. You know, and instead yeah. we've just kind of sent them a message that they're just free to do whatever they want within certain allotted right. periods of time. You know, um, and that's it, it's it's tough to kind of piece that together, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, they, they don't want people to take arms up themselves, but, you know, if they're just right. standing there, you know, that was something else I was going to say is like when you discuss with things with the left, one of the things I learned beyond a shadow of a doubt dealing with the Kyle Rittenhouse incident stuff was because I'm a leftist, all of my Facebook presence is in leftist groups and I end up arguing with these people and it's like, there is no outcome to them that is acceptable short of the mob being allowed to hurt anyone they want. And if you right. defend yourself, 
you're automatically an assaulter. If you killed one of them, you're automatically a murderer. You know, like there, it's murder if you kill them in self-defense. You know, if the mob decides to attack you, you know, the only acceptable outcome is that you get stomped out like that guy in Portland or you get, you know, um, or you get shot like Jay Danielson by Michael Reinald. You know, or that that's that's the element to it. And the funny thing is, is that they don't even frame it in the perspective of, like, say, a war, you know, like where our side mm-hmm. is taking casualties. They take it as our side are the victims and, you know, you are the murderers. You know, like it wasn't that there was right. a conflict, you know, where there were mutual combatants. They always frame it that way, you know, that any anything that's done against them is murder. Anything they do against you is justified. You know, and then you throw into that the the fog of war of the fact that Antifa, by its design, is set up in such a way that because, you know, they're all running around in masks and black block, and that's kind of the benefit of the black block strategy, is that anything Mm -hmm. that goes wrong, oh, well, it was really a right winger in disguise. You know, (laughs) that's another thing I address in one of my documentaries, because, like, all the looting is supposedly all white supremacists. And I'm like, so I play a video of people who are very obviously not white supremacists because they're people of color engaged in looting and rioting. And I'm like, yeah, obviously well, they're, they're all white supremacists. White supremacists. Because they allow, right. yes. Right. That's, that's the part about it that I, they have so many deflection tactics to just kind of, you know, try to put up a stealth device. They're very good at it. Yeah. Right. And that's, and they've created that scenario, you know, and, um, if you couple that with their cancel culture stuff and all that, it makes it very hostile. And I, when you say it's getting worse, you know, like looking at the stuff that's going on in New York right now, I, I would tend to agree. Um, especially in case, you know, in some of these cases now, you know, the cops are also kind of obviously getting fed up. Like, you know, the cops in L.A., you know, when they're finally like got carte blanche to start swinging their billy clubs, they did it, you know, and then in New York, like they were not playing around like they, but New York's already been kind of on a different level of violence through all Mm -hmm. of this. Even, even in early 2020, that's where the cops are getting hit in the head with bricks and stuff. But I just, you know, it all kind of makes you wonder like what the end game is, you know, when, when does this come to a real end? And I, that's why what I'm concerned about and maybe some of my more conspiracy leaning associates, you know, would say that they think that ironically that all of this anti-fascist action, you know, has the byproduct effect of bringing us to fascism because, you know, ironically, you know, what happens, you know, um, ironically what happens is that, you know, like I said to Velen and I've said on different shows, I have friends who are moderate Republicans, like very moderate, like not, MAGA hot wearing Trumpers like they might have voted for him because he was the Republican. You know, they don't have any devotion to any of the weird ideologies. They're not QAnon, you know, and if these are people who before 2020, if I ever described to them a situation where, say, federal, you know, officers showed up and started rounding people up and putting them in vans and taking them away, they would be, you know, uh, they would be horrified by the notion of that about that total, you know, like fascist looking, you know, violation of their civil rights. You know, then you watch some videos of the crap that goes on on the third at the Wee Spa and, you know, you Mm -hmm. fantasize about it. (laughs) You're like, 
God, right. when are the cops going to show up and, you know, put some billy clubs to some of these kids and put them in vans and just take them to camp somewhere. And that's why, you know, I, I've said the same thing to black lives matter. I was like, you know, if you guys objective is that you don't like that people are profiling you as violent criminals. I don't think that the strategy of going out and behaving exactly as racists say you behave is really in your best interest, right. you know? Um, and that's what we saw happen on Thursday. So this past Thursday, the, some of the some of the same people that would have been out protesting we spot are out doing a uh, vax um, uh, medical freedom protest. All right, and yeah, the mask thing. A group of I these same that. people show up, including some of the press. The shawl was one of the ones that was out there, and they just harassed these people. And they attack them for what they're doing out there. And then we see the social media campaign and everything. It's, it's, it's getting worse. And they're getting more emboldened. And they're becoming the fascist that they claim everyone else is. And that is all there is to it. Well, there when is, you there look at no Go, well, when you look at the ideological makeup, and this is stuff that I know because, you know, because I'm left-leaning, I'm on a lot of these forums, you know, and, you know, when you look at the ideological makeup, one of the things that, you know, we understood in Occupy was that, yeah, Antifa are primarily anarcho-communist, but they're not only anarcho-communists. Unfortunately, some of them are what would be called tankies, and tankies are essentially authoritarian communists. These are the kinds of people that make excuses for people like Mao or Stalin, you know, um, and I've got like clips of my discussions with them because people literally tell me I'm lying or making it up. I'm like, no, these people exist. And some of them are running with Antifa. And like, you can see it because you'll see the red and black um, diagonal flags. Those are um, anarcho-communist flags. But if you see the red flag with the, you know, the hammer and sickle, well, now you're looking at authoritarian communists. And, you know, those kinds of people, the kind of communism they want is, you know, would line people up and, and execute them. You know, that's right. a completely different attitude, you know, and I think that those kinds of people also, especially when they start talking about being in favor of, say, censorship, you know, being in favor of, you know, robbing people of their civil rights or determining that somebody's part of an enemy class and therefore they don't have the right to self-defense. This is all stuff that I've just been told, you know, like I can show you one of my older videos where I literally just went to one of my Facebook groups for Occupy to talk to some of these people because a lot of the same people are still there, you know, and they just openly say, you know, if we've determined that you're a fascist, you don't have a right to self-defense, that's, I'm going to execute you. (laughs) You know, if you, we've determined you're fascist, you don't have a right to, you know, to free speech. And the funny thing is, is that, I just watched a a series by a guy named Ryan Chapman on YouTube, and he does really great presentations breaking down things like critical race theory and stuff like that. Um, And critical theory books openly just state that you shouldn't permit, um, you know, free speech because, you know, you should only permit speech essentially that comes down to, you know, whatever is positive to the message that they want sent out, you know, and that, that they think that it's important to control speech. And when I talked to old school leftists, like I had a guy by the name of Derek Jensen on my show, and he used to be a very prominent leftist anarchist. 
and he's he got excommunicated. And the reason is is because he wrote a book where he said we should still have laws against rape and child molestation. And there, there are elements of the anarchist community that flipped out because he dared to say that. Well, anyway, all or nothing. You know, yeah. Right. Well, he just pointed out, you know, he's, you know, he actually kind of came around because of that to deciding that, you know, man, some of these people, they could never handle a society with no, with no police, right. no laws and all that, you know, but because I they say the same thing about free speech, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like you can have partial free speech. It's either you have free speech or you don't. That's my opinion. No well, right. middle ground. Well, and right? anybody and who so, is... Anybody who's on the left should recognize that the only reason that the left even survived people like J. Edgar Hoover was free speech. Like free speech is the only reason there is a leftist movement in the United States, you know, um, but now that they think that they're winning, they they just want to turn it off, you know, Um, and I to me. Well, the history history is not a very strong suit for some folks. Well, right, and that's why they want to rewrite it. Like every Stalinist I talk to claims that every negative thing ever said about Stalin was either um, propaganda or that they have some weird way of justifying it. You know, um, so yeah, the history is not to their benefit, you know, and, you know, they, when it comes to the critical race theory stuff, they're just kind of outright lying and saying that it's just expanded black history, you know, because they're trying to make anybody who doesn't like it look bad, or they're trying to say, that people are trying to ban critical race theory or just trying to ban black history. And I'm like, look, I emerged from my education in the eighties and nineties, despising racism, despising slavery. You know, I knew about Jim Crow. I knew that black people couldn't vote. I mean, all the things were there. And I was like, that's not what you guys are teaching. You guys have something else going on, you know? Um, and yeah. that's what actually is causing problems where I'm in this absurd situation where I, I'm the one leftist in the town full of conservatives and they're asking me to come to school board meetings to help them talk because, you know, right. I, I can, you know, I'm an activist, you know, so I, it puts me in a, you know, a strange bedfellow situation in my own school district. But the point is, is that all of this seems to be part of like a greater um, plan and whoever it is that benefits from it, I'm not sure. I'm sure that there are multiple actors in the situation who think that they're going to manipulate it to their benefit. Um, you know, and it just worries me. I think that our gen, I think that's one of the problems. A lot of people are looking at this and thinking, well, it'll blow over eventually. And I'm starting to wonder, will it, you know, um, my, uh, my gut tells me it's not just going to blow over. Yeah. I'm kind of leaning in the same direction. It seems like something terrible is going to have to happen, you know, before that happens. You know, um, I feel stubbornness is, is going to win out. You think over, what part is going over, to win out? I think I think stubbornness is going to beat everybody. Right. And I think both both sides are very stubborn to the to the extreme ends of that. And that's going to get them to the point where nobody's going to back down and it's going to just get more violent before it ends. Well, some of it is, is also is my fear. Well, no, I, I think that's correct. And I think that part of it is that we as Americans have been kind of spoiled and that there hasn't really been a major armed conflict on our soil in so long, you know, that yeah. the only people who know what one looks like are our veterans, you know, and, right. you know, um, I, I do think that 
this group of kids that are, you know, beating people up outside the weed spa are going to be in for a rude awakening, um, you know, when things get, finally do go down. Because it's not going to look anything like a gang of people following one guy with a camera and punching him in the face. It, it's going to look right. very different. Um, and wow. there are people on the right who are a hell of a lot more prepared than they are for that you know, possibility. Yeah. Is there a bird in your house? <laughs> no, there is not. Okay. But oh, there are birds I... around the house. So they're very they're very loud, especially at night. They all seem it to It doesn't come bother out. me. I was just like, That's interesting. You know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. we've had a really great conversation. I wanted to give you the opportunity, first of all, can you tell people a little bit about what you do so that we can you know, any of my listeners and viewers can come check you out? What do I do? Uh, that's a really good question. I've, I've honestly been trying to figure that out for months now. And I started out just going out on the street, showing what's going on. Um, and, and it's sort of grown. It's built a little bit of a community. Um, I've made a lot of interesting friends and connections because of it. It doesn't really have a focus, but the goal is just to show what's happening on the street. What you see is what you get, which was an awful name to come up with. But honestly, it was really just something to not use my name and to be able to get a live feed out for people to see what was going on. And, um, but at the same time, it's also turned out to be very truthful because I'm not a journalist. I don't claim to be a journalist. I've been told what I do is sort of true journalism because I allow, most of the time, I allow the viewer to just see what's happening and make a decision for themselves. Um, right. And well, that used to be I, what journalism was. <laughs> eh, sort of, yeah. You know, you know I'm, I'm big on this idea of decentralized media, um, mm-hmm. but I've also sort of just been so overwhelmed by just being out there with a the camera and trying to provide such a such a, a good view of things um, that uh, I, I try not to do fluff. I try not to um, – I want to give the audience something to see. So I tend to only go live when there's actually something going on. Um, so you, usually people know that if I'm live, something important's happening. And I try right. to keep it at that. I, I rarely ever do any studio or, you know, home broadcasts. Um, I've done a couple just because it's been issues that have been important to me and things that I wanted to talk about. Um, but I'm sort of a fair weather live streamer. If there's nothing going on, I'm not just making content to get people to watch. So, Well, and that's um, totally fair. But, you know, that comes back to the, like what you said earlier. Like I said, when journalists used to do that, Journalism used to be people competing with each other on who was going to get the most truthful, accurate story out there. That used to be what it was. And now it's, if you work for MSNBC, you need to find the most um, left-leaning, translated into the best Democratic Party line story that you can. And then if you work for Fox News, (laughs) then it's the Republican-leaning part of the story that you can you know, there is, and right. they just kind of gave up on even trying to prove to like actually share events anymore. You know, it, everything is slanted, you know, and they just don't even pretend anymore. They, they just, they, they're, right. they're both in the spin room. And it's to the point where, 
you know, they're, they're losing credibility, which gives me hope. You know, I don't even, I might listen yeah. to clips every now and then, but I certainly don't get my day-to-day events from people like that. Right. You know, so I have anyway, I'm not letting my feelings show, which is right. one of my weaknesses because I, I feel like I've got a pretty good heart and I, I see injustice and I, I want to show it. I, I like talking to people. I will talk to anybody on the street. I'm not necessarily, I, it's hard for me to start a conversation, but it's, I've, I've had some of these moments in the past that have allowed me to talk to some people that I, I probably wouldn't have on a, on a normal basis uh, just because starting those conversations is sometimes awkward for me. But I, I've, I've, some of the most memorable ones have been unique experiences with people that I've, I've found very interesting. And um, I used to do more of that. Um, I've done less of it because it's, it seemed more dangerous out at some of these events. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to see where it goes and um, just try to try to bring people hopefully the truth. Well, that's kind of um, where I was at, too. For themselves. Yeah. Right. And, you know, well, I tell people, like, if I am going to give my opinion on something, I'm kind of clear that, you know, this is my opinion. Um, you know, but in general, I'm trying to be careful to not form opinions that are not informed. <laughs> you know, it's just right. like I try to, like, it was like with the thing with Kyle Rittenhouse. Initially, when I, I was like, man, I was wondering when some crazy shooter was going to show up to one of these things and, sh- you know, so that's what I thought I was getting into when I started that project, you know, and then I spent two weeks of reviewing footage, eight to 12 hour days. I literally hurt myself from sitting in my chair too long. And, um, it was, I was like, nope, that's not what has, that's not what's going on. That this kid isn't some just crazy shooter. You know, I don't necessarily think that what he did was wise, but you know, but that's the truth of it. And then that was, right. I just saw people tearing each other up just straight up lying, you know, to each other about it. And that, and that kind of like set the stage for me to look at things differently because from then on out, everybody's got their own lies on everything and society can't function if we can't have any kind of a grasp on what's really going on. You know, how can we legislate if we don't know what's really going on? You know, how can we, um, you know, function, you know, and and interact together, you know, and that's what is leading to people saying things like, you know, maybe we need certain states to secede from the union or whatever. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, we've gotten that divided. And then, you know, to top all this off, you look at the social media algorithms. I don't know if you've watched the documentaries like the creepy line, you know, that explain like I guess they had whistleblowers from Facebook and Twitter and all that come forward and say, look, this algorithm is designed to only show people things that will keep them on their phones and computers. And the two things that keep people on their phones and computers the most are things that make you angry and something that echoes everything you already thought. So that, that creates the circumstances of terrible division, you know, and, you know, in one African country where the Facebook is the internet basically for them, it led to a genocide you know, because they were all just being pitted against each other over and over and over again, because the feed shows you whatever, like the computer, the computer monitors and sees what you keep, you know, and they try to stay. You sort of see that happening here in the States. 
to a certain extent, right. not a, a, to an absolute degree, but, you know, it's definitely pitted people against each other. Right. Well, they didn't have any alternatives. They're only looking at Facebook yeah. and it doesn't right. help that, you know, obviously their culture is a bit more warlike, but the, the point is, is that um, these things are going on and people are not cognizant of it. And it's, you know, um, it's definitely dangerous to the future of our society because if we can't get a grip on this, you know, it's, I'm concerned that if we can't reason ever, you know, um, it's going to cause all kinds of problems because now they want everything to be about feelings. You know, one of the things that, you know, that occurs to me when they say things like abolish the police, let's have community justice. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind when somebody says that is, you know, a horrible picture of a black man hanging from a tree because a mob decided that he looked at a white woman the wrong way. I'm like, community mm-hmm. justice doesn't work, guys. <laughs> right. It's like, you may think right. it does, but it doesn't. You know, like, would you want... Well, I, I, I think that's sort of what Antifa thinks right now with what they're doing is it's community justice. With the free speech argument, you have the right to say what you want, but when the community doesn't like what you say, we're going to come out here and we're going to stop it. Right. No, I agree, and that's but they think that they know what's going on, and, it, and in many cases they just don't. You know, that's they mm-hmm. have they they believe they do, you know, but it, yeah. the truth of it is is that they really only have their own spin, you know, and I can't trust a mob with major decisions, right. you know. Um, but anyway, right. this has been a great talk. I, I hope that you and I can keep in touch, and you know, if you cover anything else interesting in the future, you know, that you'd like to share with me by all means. Um, my channel's not monetized. I don't do anything for money at this point. You know, I am, even in when I'm done with my physical therapy, it's possible that walking is never going to be really the same ever again. So it is possible that I may not be able to do the job that I used to do. Um, if that happens, then I may become professional again, but I don't foresee that happening in the near future regardless. But in the meantime, I'm just motivated by getting the truth out there. So I want to thank you for yeah. coming on and sharing with me, you know, what you learned about, you know, the third, because I think that's kind of a, a perfect storm for seeing what happens if you just let Antifa do whatever they want, you know. Yeah, um, I agree. So um, anyway, uh, obviously I can put the link in the description, but you have a YouTube channel. Is that basically your primary... Uh, YouTube, uh, Facebook, and Twitch are the three primaries. And I usually always stream to Twitter as well uh, as the four platforms that I go out on. They're all WYSIWYG TV on all the the platforms. So whatever people like to watch on. Okay. Well, um, again, uh, it's been great talking to you, uh, if you don't mind. Um, generally, after I have a guest on, I usually talk to them very briefly off the air. So if you could just call me when we're done here. Um, you got it. And I'm going to say thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, again, um, this is the first time you've tuned in. Please check out my archives. Um, I'm going to be you know, providing links to his various social media contacts that you can follow his work as well. You know, And again, you know what I ask people, because people ask me all the time if they can donate, and as I said, I'm not really making that a, a priority right now. What you could really do for me and for other people who do work like me is share these podcasts and these videos, because the algorithm doesn't like people that say the truth, <laughs> you know, the unfiltered right. truth. The algorithm likes people that, 
you know, are saying what they want to hear. Um, and unfortunately, Google has already been shown to have a very, a very clear agenda on what they want seen and heard. So share the heck out of this stuff because that's one way that you can just directly, you know, combat that issue. If you like what you're hearing here, you know, then please do that. And to any of you who might be deciding, okay, well, let me go check out his channel now, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I guarantee you, because I'm this weird guy who has fans who are left and fans that are right, you're not going to like everything I say. But I would challenge you that it's better for your brain to find people that you don't agree with about everything all the time. You know, because one of the biggest problems we have in our society right now is everybody's trapped in their, you know, their echo chambers you know, and they're never challenged on any of their beliefs, you know, they're just reinforced on their beliefs all the time, you know, so I do this myself, like, you know, for example, I listen to Ben Shapiro sometimes, he and I probably have nothing in common when we're discussing economics, but there are some things that he says that I agree with, you know, same thing with, say, Jordan Peterson or Drew Hernandez or, you know, like all these people, like, if you can't sit through a conversation with somebody who doesn't just echo everything that's going on in your head, are you really critically thinking if you're, if your thoughts are essentially just faith, you know, and the only way for you to protect them is to never expose yourself to anything outside of your church. I put in quotes, you know, then do you really have faith? You know, I mean, do you really have like, you know, honest, real beliefs that are yours that you've tested, you know, and I think that's one of the major things that unfortunately is, is dying in this environment that I think is critical to our society is our ability to think and analyze, you know, and come to educated opinions about things, um, you know, before we run off at the mouth about them or before we say, go into the streets and beat people up over them. So um, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to V Radio.